Praise God, brothers and sisters. Uh, it's good to see everybody here tonight. Um, if you're new here, welcome. Welcome to Slava Christian Center Youth. We're happy to have you. Um, I'll admit it's a bit, it is a bit weird not having Dennis here. The one time I'm up here, Dennis is not here. He's not here to support us mentally or physically. But um, we'll pray for him. He's picking up his wife from the airport. And uh, before we go into worship, I'd like to read one verse, which I'll go into a little bit more detail uh, later. It's uh, found in Psalm 27. And there's anybody in the Bible I admire a lot. It's the psalmist David. He has such a great relationship with God that even through all his hard times, even through all his good times, he knows how to praise God. And he knows how to seek God's face. He knows how to be in fellowship with God. And I want to read from Psalm 27, and it's going to be verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And I'm also going to read verse 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. I was reading these words today, and I was thinking to myself, what kind of heart do we come to God with when we come to youth service? Not even just youth services, just services in general. The psalmist David, he had his priorities straight. He said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing David really wanted to do in this, in this psalm was that he wanted to gaze upon God in the beauty of his temple. And I ask ourselves tonight, what kind of heart do we come with before God? What kind of heart do we open up to God when we come to prayer, when we come to worship him? In, in Matthew, uh, Jesus tells, um, he's, when he's doing the uh, teaching on the mountain, he's saying, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. So today, I ask that we would set our focus on Jesus today. Set our eyes on God and open up our hearts and seek his face in the beauty of, of his temple. So in this prayer, let's ask God to open up our hearts, open up our eyes, that we may hear what he has to speak to us today. Amen? Please open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We will continue reading. Ephesians chapter 5. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know now, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore he says, Awake you that sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak unto yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ as the head of the church, 
and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord of the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and those two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and his wife see that she reverence her husband. That's Ephesians chapter 5. Praise God. Praise God, brothers and sisters. Um, so, the last, like, I'll just share something what's been happening in my life the last three or four weeks. Um, I've been having this really weird sense of, like, deja vu, which I can't really explain. But it seems like I'm doing something at work, and I'm like, I've already done this before. Like, this weird, have you guys ever had that? Weird sense? And then... Coming here today, I had the same thing, and I've actually had this come to my mind. It's like, I remember sitting somewhere, either in this side and this side in Bible school, and this was like 13, 14, or 15, and I remember um, struggling to, like, understand what God wants from me, struggling to understand, well, how do I live the Christian life? What do I do? And then I remember praying, I'm like, God, if, if you, like, can get me out of this, I want to teach people, like, through my struggles, I want to teach people. And honestly, like, it's been amazing just to remember that prayer that I had. And it's like, I'm standing here today. I would have never seen it at that time. But here I am standing today, and I want to just share the topic that I'm going to be talking about is temptation. And so, um, if we read in Matthew chapter 4, it talks about the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you guys all know the story. I, just, I'm not, I don't have time to go into it. Um, but Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, and then Satan comes to him, and Satan starts to tempt him. And Satan tempts him three times, and three times Jesus says no. Jesus says it is written. He gives him the word. He tells him to finally go, and Satan leaves. And so, um, I want us to understand something about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he is fully God, right? As Jesus Christ being man on earth, he is fully God, but at the same time, Jesus Christ is fully man. He is not half man, half God. He is fully God and fully man. So as God, um, it even says um, in Scripture, it says that in Colossians, it says that uh, Jesus is God in Jesus is God in bodily form like all the fullness of God was indwelt in Jesus. Jesus had the power to forgive sin here on earth. Jesus can do miracles. He had the authority to do that. And so Jesus is fully God, but yet Jesus is also fully man. So what is it what do I mean when I say that Jesus is fully man? What I mean when I say Jesus is fully man, I mean that he was a human just like us. You know, he didn't magically just appear one day and start healing people. He didn't start just appear one day out of nowhere. Jesus Christ was born, right? He was born just like us. He was born as a human through a woman, you know. Jesus Christ, he had to have, you know, been his, he had to have get his diapers changed because he was a baby, right? Jesus Christ needed to get fed by his mother. And Jesus Christ, growing up, he probably played with, like, the neighborhood kids, right? Like, we only see three years of Jesus' life that's recorded, but Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. And we see, like, what was, Je what was Jesus doing for 30 years before he just popped out of nowhere and just started doing things, right? What, did, what was he doing? He wasn't just sitting in his mom's basement, right? He wasn't just waiting for the right moment. Jesus had a job, right? Jesus worked. What did Jesus do? Carpenter. Jesus was a construction worker, right? 
Jesus had a job. And so what, am I, what is my point here? That Jesus, being fully God, Jesus is also fully man. Jesus is going through the same things that we have to go through here on earth, the same struggles that we have to go through here on earth. You know, Jesus had emotions just like us. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus dying. Jesus was hungry when he fasted for 40 days. He felt that because he was a human. And also, Jesus, after teaching for long days, Jesus took naps because he was tired. Jesus got tired. And so, I'm saying this, that Jesus is fully man, and Jesus was tempted just like we are tempted. The temptation that he occurred with Satan was not the only temptation he ever had in his life. He was tempted just like us. And to prove this, I want us to turn to Hebrews 4.15. Actually, we'll start at verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but yet one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive help, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so I want us to just look at we just, what we just read. It says that Jesus, our high priest, right? What's a high priest? What was the role of a high priest in the Old Testament? The high priest, he was from the family of the Levites. He was set apart for service. Like all he did was serve in the temple, this person. And what this person would do, he would yearly offer sacrifice and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he was basically like the mediator kind of between us and God. He was like the person who was between us and God. We couldn't come to God. We couldn't come to the temple and do anything. We had to come. We had to bring our sacrifice. The priest would sacrifice um, what we brought, and then that would, you know, bring us to God in that sense. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that, but now we have Jesus as our high priest, right? We have this person who is going to connect us to God in a sense. And even Jesus said about himself that, no one can come to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our mediator. He is that connection between me and God. I cannot come to God by myself without Jesus Christ. And so here it says in verse 15, and we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things yet without sin. It's saying that Jesus was tempted in all things, yet he did not sin. He gets us. He knows what we're going through, right? He knows our struggles. He knows what we are being tempted with. And so, I want to just kind of go through what did Jesus do when he was tempted? What were some of the steps that he could take? These are just some of the points that I took from what he did. But before that, I want us to just kind of analyze exactly what, what is temptation first. You kind of have to know your opponents, right, before you can fight with him. If someone is coming with you at you with a, with a knife, you have to know what kind of weapons you have to use. You have to bring a gun, right? So we have to know what we're dealing with to know how to fight it, is if that makes, that makes perfect sense. All right. So temptation... And also, the temptation that Jesus faced, where Satan comes up directly to him, this is not the temptation that we get today. Satan does not directly come to you, and he just starts talking to you like, hey, Dennis, hey, what's up? And he just starts tempting you. No, we are tempted because we have a sinful nature. We were born in sin, and our desires come from within ourselves. It's not that Satan has a, this dialogue with you all the time, but it is your desires that are within you because you were born in sin and you could do nothing about it because it's Adam and Eve's fault, that is what is bringing up these desires. And so I also want to say that temptation is normal. Getting temptation is normal. Every single person gets temptation. 
Can I get a raise of hands? Who has been tempted in their life before? Has gotten temptation? I see a couple hands not raised. I don't think they're listening. But everyone has gotten tempted. Who here, okay, let's be even more honest. Who here has fallen into temptation? Raise your hand. All right, I don't see everyone's hand raised. Okay, you guys are liars. But everyone has fallen into temptation. And temptation is something when it comes, you have no control at what time it comes, when it comes, how it comes, right? Like if I were to come up and just start poking Vadim, does Vadim have control when I came up and started poking him? Probably not, no, but he could push me away and he could be like, get out of here. So we cannot control when the temptation comes, what time the temptation comes, but all we can control is how we handle it and we can push it away, be like, no. And so, if you cannot control it, right, we, you cannot control what time it comes. You can't set this date like, okay, at, you know, 9.30 tonight, this is when I plan to get tempted. No. The temptation comes, it comes at, it could come at any time. So if you cannot control at what time you are going to be tempted, right, why, do you, why would you feel bad when you get tempted? If this is something that you cannot control coming in, why do you feel bad when you're tempted? Why do you look at yourself and you say, God, why am I still being tempted in this area of my life? Why is this still pursuing? Why is this thing still coming after me? And when you're getting tempted, you're left with feeling guilty, you're left feeling ashamed, and you're left broken. Let's say even if you overcame that temptation, right? Even if you got past that temptation, you didn't fall for it, but you are left guilty, ashamed, broken, the devil has already won. You know, it's not, it's not that you, you beat him and you won, but what he did was that, you know, he grabbed, you guys, you guys came into a fight with together, he grabbed his sword, and when you guys were fighting, when he left, he slashed your arm. And he left a mark on you. And then he comes again, and he slashes your other arm. You might have chased him away, but he keeps slashing you. He keeps doing it again and again. And eventually, you'll just start either bleeding out, or you'll feel so guilty, feel so ashamed, that you're like, what's the point of even going on? Right? You cannot control when it comes in. Why would you feel guilty about it? I spent way too much of my life feeling guilty about being tempted. Not even falling into the temptation, but why am I being tempted in this thing? So, now that we kind of see, now that we kind of see and have analyzed kind of temptation, I wanted to point out what did Jesus do to fight his temptation? And I kind of mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, what did Jesus do every single time that he was tempted? He did it consistently. He quoted scripture. So when Jesus was tempted, he quoted scripture to Satan, right? He quoted scripture because he knew the scriptures, right? You have to know the scriptures to be able to quote the scriptures. It's that easy, right? When we are being tempted, we have to know our Bible to be able to fight against that temptation. To, we need to even know our Bible just to know what is the difference between right and wrong. You know, we're teaching teenagers at Saturday school, and a lot of questions come up. It's like, is vaping okay? Is this okay? Is weed okay? Is drinking okay? Is this okay? You have to read your Bible to be able to know the difference between right and wrong when it comes in. And Jesus recited scripture. So I'm going to challenge all of you guys today. I want you guys to, if you're not reading the Bible every day, I want you guys to find a Bible reading plan. I want you guys to find it and to stick to it for one month. All I'm asking is one month, and you'll see how much your life will change in that one month of just being in the Word every day. 
Because if you're struggling with temptation, if you're falling for the same habitual sin, the same sin that keeps tripping you up, and you're not in the Word of God, how could you fight it? The Word of God is our sword. If you're swordless, how could you fight? And so, the next thing that Jesus, Jesus did was Jesus said no. This might seem like a silly, silly point that I'm making, but he said no. There's that willpower. I'm going to say no to this. Because the scripture says, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So, this verse is saying that when we are getting tempted, there's not going to be a temptation that's going to be too much for us. We will never be able to not say no to it, right? And the scripture even points out that when we, will, we are being tempted, there's always a way of escape. Because sometimes we'll feel like, this thing is so great, it's like, almost like it's pulling me into it. Like, it's like I have no control over it, Right? But the scripture says, no temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man, that which is everyone gets it. You can say no and you can escape from it. So say no. All right. The next thing that Jesus did, and this is not in chapter 4 of Matthew, but Jesus prayed. And we see that Jesus' greatest temptation was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus knew that what was going to happen to him within the next couple of days. Jesus knew the punishment, the cross that he was going to have to endure. He knew that he was going to have to get whipped. He knew that he was going to have to get his nails pierced, his hands pierced with nails onto the cross. He knew that it was going to be agonizing pain. And so we see that Jesus is pleading before God. And he's saying, God, if it is possible to remove this cup from me, if it is possible to take this away from me, please take this away. I don't want to do this. Right? God, Jesus himself was honest about what he was struggling with with God. So prayer. When I am being tempted, I don't have to wait to fall for the temptation to, to go to God and pray. In the middle of the temptation, when I feel like I'm about to slip, when I feel, when I see it coming on, I can be like, God, this is what I'm struggling with right now. This is the state of my Christianity. This is the state of my Christian walk. I know I'm not where I want to be right now. God, please help me. Please show me the way out. Show me the way of escape. I don't want to do this. Be honest with God. Keep that prayer life with him. Don't try to run away from God when you're being tempted. That's, that's like the theme Satan wants us to do. He wants us to feel guilty, ashamed, and go away from God. But we need to run to God before our temptation, during our temptation, and even after, even if you fall for the sin, you run to God. But what did Jesus say in the garden? He says, I do not, God, I do not want to do this. I do not want to take this, but not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus Christ knew the will of God. One of the things you need to know to overcome temptation is knowing the will of God for your life. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And I'm going to just read the first part of the verse. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So, this is the will of God. We don't, I'm not looking for some crazy will like, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? What am I going to go to school for? This and that and this and that. I'm looking for what is a general will for all believers. The general will for all believers is that this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is the process 
when Jesus Christ sanctifies us to look more like himself. So the will of God is that we look more and more like Jesus every single day. We have to know that. There is no standstill in your Christian walk. There is no high peak that you go to and you're like, this is my, okay, I hit this plateau and this is like, I'm running that perfect Christian life. No, you look more and more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. And by the time you're 80 years old, you will still not look like Jesus Christ. You can try. Even the most sanctified person here on earth will not have the same holiness, will not have the same purity as Jesus Christ. We are sanctified every day of our lives, every single day, and we will not hit that point ever of perfection. You know what? We are not perfect. We are not perfect. If we, are per- if we were perfect, then Jesus Christ did not, would not have to come and die for our sins. I think in Romans it says, if righteousness could be achieved through the law, if we could be perfect by following the law, then Christ died needlessly. If I could be perfect, then Christ died for no reason. Why do I need Christ if I am perfect? But the thing is, we as humans are not perfect. It took me a long time to admit that I was not perfect. And when I realized that I was not perfect, I realized, you know what? I'm not only not perfect, but I am worse than I ever thought. The things that I could do are worse than I could ever imagine. The stuff that I'm capable of, the sins and the evil that I could commit is worse than I could ever have imagined. I would have never seen myself doing these things. And you know what? I did not look at my perfection. I didn't say, you know what, God? Just give me another chance. I'll try to make it right next time. I'll try to be perfect. I looked at Jesus Christ and I said, God, I am a sinner and I need you. There is no other way for me but besides you. I put my belief, I put my full trust in Jesus Christ. I said, your righteousness, your perfection, I want that on me. And that was salvation. That was the regeneration. That was the new birth. That's when you are born again, when you put your entire trust in his sacrifice for your life. Have you put your trust fully in Jesus Christ for your life? Have you trusted in his perfection? Have you trusted in his righteousness? Have you trusted in his sacrifice for you? Because you cannot do anything. If you have not done that yet, if you're still relying on yourself in any sense, Run and cling to the cross of Jesus Christ for heaven's sake. You have no other hope but Jesus Christ. There is no other hope for you. Nothing else can save you. You need to run and you need to clean and say, God, this is it. This is my salvation. This is my righteousness. I need this. I don't need anything else, God. I only need your your cross and your... Let us pray. Praise God, brothers and sisters. Before I get into my word, I wanted to make uh, two short announcements again. There is a box out there on one of the tables. It's a prayer box. And if you have a need that you want to write down and you want it to be prayed for over the course of the whole week, feel free to do that. You can keep it anonymous. You can write your name down on it. That's up to you. And if you wanted to take one home and pray over a need over the course of the week, you can do that too. If there is a need specifically that maybe you didn't share, you didn't feel comfortable sharing, but you wanted someone to hold you in prayer over the course of the week, feel free to participate in that. And my second short announcement is in regards to a Bible study. From what I understand, I wasn't here last week, but there's going to be a Bible competition. So right now is the best time to join a Bible study, in my opinion. In preparation for this competition, there is a Bible study, from what I understand, in the upper room of the Sunday School Department cell groups with Andre Bobbin. We have, we have David Zick with Max Karavi doing their Bible study, also on Fridays, every other Friday. And I also have a Bible study every Tuesday here in this cell hall at 5.30. Please feel free 
to join one of those Bible studies. I would be very pleased, very happy to have you join any of those studies. If you come to my study, it's a commitment because then we stay for youth. It's like a four-hour thing. That's okay. The Lord is blessing us. We're growing from that. That being said, amen. That being said, I wanted to speak on the book of Proverbs today. In our Bible study, we went through the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters of Proverbs is specifically grouped together as wisdom for the young. The general Proverbs begin at chapter 10 and they continue from there. But the first nine are all dedicated on wisdom for the young. As you guys know, young people are lacking in wisdom. Young people are those who need wisdom. Young people are those who are the ones that are making the mistakes. The young people are never a good thing in the Bible, you could say. It's always the young. You stay away from the young. The young people are the fools. And so the first nine chapters, you see the phrase, my son, my son, follow my commands, my son, treasure my commands, my son, bind the law around your neck, my son. That's what the first nine chapters of Proverbs are. And so the, what I wanted to emphasize from those first nine chapters are three things. The first is this. Wisdom is readily available to each and every single one of us. Brothers and sisters, wisdom is available to each and every single one of us. Secondly, wisdom will change us. Wisdom will change us, brothers and sisters. Wisdom is not simply some philosophical type of mental stimulation over here. Wisdom is something that will change the way that you live your life. And thirdly, wisdom comes from a right relationship with God. Those are the three things I wanted to look at very quickly tonight. And the first, once again, is this. Wisdom is readily available. When you look at wisdom in the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters, very often wisdom is personified as a woman. And this woman is standing at the very top of the highest hills. She's standing in the very front of the gates, right in front of your door, and she is saying, and she is yelling, it even says, she is shouting, all you who are simple, come to me. Wisdom is readily available to each and every single one of us. It even says she is standing where all of the paths meet. It does not matter where you are in your life today. It does not matter what circumstance you're in. Wisdom is available for every single person. In fact, wisdom says, all who seek me, find me. And very often when we read about wisdom, it's almost as if God himself is speaking. Not only does wisdom say, seek me and find me, God is saying, seek me and you too will find me. This command that we have to seek after the Lord, to knock on the door and have it open to us, is the same message that wisdom is giving to you and to me. If we were only to seek for wisdom, we would absolutely attain it. If you and I diligently sought for wisdom, we would find it. And not only would we find it, but Proverbs tells us that there is nothing comparable to wisdom. So the question is, what is wisdom? What is wisdom, brothers and sisters? And wisdom is this. Wisdom is the reality. It is the insight to order your life by God's Word. Wisdom is the practical application and skill of living out a godly life. And there is nothing more valuable for you and for me than to live this short life, this very short life that we have here on earth in a way that glorifies our God and our Creator and our Maker. There is nothing more valuable than for you and for I to live in a way that glorifies God. But not only that, wisdom guides us. Wisdom protects us. Wisdom directs us. And the first place where I wanted to read from was the book of Proverbs, 
chapter 6, verse 20 to verse 29. Very quickly. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 to verse 29. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. I want to pause there. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. I don't know how many of you have participated in kids camp, but I've been in kids camp for several years now. And one of my favorite things from kids camp is without a doubt the night game. And some of you guys who have been the ushers and have chased the kids know that that is one of the favorite things that the kids wait for every single year is the night game. Not only do the kids wait for it, I think some of us adults wait for the night game. I wait for the night game. I come just for the night game. And I have played the night game with both a flashlight and with no flashlight, brothers and sisters. And I can tell you this. It, it can be really, really dark in those woods. And there can be a lot of holes, and there can be a lot of bumps, and there can be a lot of sticks, and there can be a lot of little hills you didn't see. I have bit it many times playing the night game because I could not see where I was going. But if I had a light, if I could see where I was going, I would have never tripped on that whole brothers and sisters. If I knew where I was going, if I had a flashlight, I would have never fallen into those bushes, brothers and sisters. I would have never ran into that young kid. I would have been safe. And just like that light helps protect me from hurting myself in the dark. The Word of God is also leading us, guiding us, and protecting us from hurting ourselves. What do I mean? Let's continue reading from verse 24. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress, do not lust after her heart, after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids, for by means of a harlot a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Brothers and sisters, the lesson Proverbs tells us from the very beginning is this. If you and I, being parents, or if you and I being children are constantly hearing the Word of God in our household, if we are constantly binding the law of God within our hearts and we're meditating on it, do you know what's going to happen? You will get older and the seductress will come to you, young men. The young lady will come up to you and she will flatter you. And instead of you being fooled and being led like an animal to the slaughter, Proverbs says, you will say, no, no. My mom told me you were going to be coming when I got older. I knew about you before you ever came because I have kept the commandment of my mom and my dad. When temptation comes and I know what the Word of God says, I will not be fooled, brothers and sisters. When I am walking and it is dark, the Word of God is a light that guards me and protects me from that which is dangerous. And just like this young woman, this adulteress comes to me, the Word of God tells me she is flattering me, she is seducing me, and she will destroy me, just like Solomon ends up being destroyed later, ends up becoming an example for all of us. When the Word of God is constantly being heard and received and guarded, then when temptation comes, I will be able to, like a flashlight, see it and stay away from it. The first thing, I wanted to say is this, wisdom is readily available. Nothing can compare to the reality and the insight that we can live a life that glorifies God according to His Word. Not only that, but wisdom guides us, it directs us, and it protects us. Secondly, wisdom will change us. Whenever wisdom is described in the book of Proverbs, 
very often it's described like this, as an ornament of grace around your neck. Very often wisdom is like a chain around your neck. Depending on your translation, it's even been said, it's like flowers on your head. Remember that? Some translations have said it's almost like a little crown of flowers on your head. Wisdom will change the way that you look to the world around you, brothers and sisters. When you live according to wisdom and the Word of God, your life should change, brothers and sisters. This is where I wanted to very quickly turn to the book of James chapter 1. This is the book of James chapter 1, verse 22. Very familiar passage. And James, being a Jew himself, is writing to other Jews, and they know exactly what he's talking about when he speaks about wisdom. And so James says this, verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Depending on your translation, it says deluding yourselves. When you look at what this word means in its original language in the Greek, what it means is this. It is a miscalculation. You have made a logical mistake. You have not reasoned correctly. If you are a quote-unquote Christian, who is happy with only hearing the Word of God, but not actually doing it, you have made a spiritual miscalculation, brothers and sisters. If you are someone who supposedly is a Christian, and you are happy with listening to sermons, but you don't actually do what those sermons say, you have made a miscalculation. You have made a logical problem. You are logically incorrect. The true Christian not only hears the word, he does what the word says. The person who lives with wisdom will actually be changed. He will not live like the rest of the world, brothers and sisters. We look at Jesus Christ, for example, in the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 22. You don't need to turn there. But it tells us Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with man and God. People that throw out that verse, only God can judge me, don't know what they're talking about because their Christianity should be visible to not only God, but to man as well. Jesus Christ did not only grow in favor with God, but man was able to look at him and say, Jesus is different. People were able to look at the life of Jesus and say, Jesus is different. Jesus is righteous. Jesus does not walk like the other men walk. Jesus doesn't talk like the rest of the people talk. Jesus actually honors his parents. Wisdom in the heart of you and in me will be like an ornament of grace. We will look different, brothers and sisters. You and I will live differently, and not only God will see it, man will also be able to see it. First, Wisdom is readily available for everyone. Secondly, wisdom will change us. And thirdly, wisdom comes from a right relationship with God. I want us to turn to the book of Job, chapter 28. Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible, from what we know. It is the oldest and it is the first written book in the Bible chronologically. And Job, being a man who feared God, being a man who was blameless and righteous, says these words about the fear of God. Job chapter 28, verses 28. And to man, being God, he said, Behold the fear of the Lord That is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, wisdom comes from a right relationship with God. Every single person in this place who 
has believed on Jesus Christ. Every Christian in this place is wise by their very nature. By our very nature, those of us in here who have believed in God, believed in His Son, have believed the report God has given about us, that we truly are sinners, that we have been born in sin, and that we can do nothing to satisfy God's righteousness. To those of us in this place who have surrendered and clung to the cross are wise, brothers and sisters. And all of us who have not believed, all of the world is foolish. Wisdom comes from a fear of God and a turning away from evil. The whole world is filled with foolish men and women, brothers and sisters. The world and the world system is being led by the devil and all of them are fools. All of them are blind. All of them cannot see and none of them are saved. It does not matter how rich they are. It does not matter how famous they are. It does not matter how influential they are. Because they do not fear the Lord their God, they are fools, brothers and sisters. But we who have believed, we who have feared the living God and who obey Him are wise, brothers and sisters. And this wisdom will affect our relationship with sin. Remember it says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding the person who is wise will change his relationship with sin. If I am someone who is very careless about sin, I am someone who does not have a high view of God's holiness. Nobody's perfect. I sin, you sin, we all stumble. What's the big deal? I'm not a murderer. I've never hurt anybody. I am speaking as a fool, brothers and sisters. The real person who seeks to have wisdom will change his relationship with sin. And he will stay far from sin. When that temptation comes, regardless of when it comes, we will push it away. Just like Peter came and started poking you. We can push it away, brothers and sisters. The person who fears God will not even walk in the same path as sinners, according to the book of Proverbs. The person who is wise will stay away from the adulteress's house, brothers and sisters. The person who is wise will stay away from wine, for wine is a brawler and strong drink is a mocker. The person who is wise will obey his parents. The person who is wise fears God and departs from evil. There is this personal conviction of mine. It's something that the Lord has put on my heart, and it's something that I have strived to pursue. This is a verse that I think all of us have heard before. We've heard it in songs. We've heard it in poems. We've just heard it in... We're familiar with it, brothers and sisters. But what does this really mean? This is a verse written in Psalms 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and delight to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we know the word of God, when we are wise, when we fear God, we have trusted in him, we are departing from evil. When we know the word of God, it truly is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. What do I mean when I say that? The Word of God is full of absolutes, brothers and sisters. This world does not know what an absolute is. Or this world is really interested in subjectivity. And your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. No one's wrong. We're both right. What's right for you? What's right for me? This world does not like absolutes. The Word of God is full of absolutes. And as I read the Word of God and I say, what is the will of God for my life? For example, Peter was reading we see in 1 Thessalonians, the will of God is your sanctification. I no longer have to worry about what some special mysterious plan in my life is. If I am being sanctified, if I am becoming more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, I know that I am in God's will. If I am reading the Word of God and I want to hang out with my friends and my mom says, no, do you know what God's will is? It's not to go because I must obey 
my mom, brothers and sisters. If I am someone, for example, who is wondering, is it God's will for me to take this job? All I really need to do is say, God, is this a God-fearing job? Is this a job that causes me to serve you and to work with my hands and to honor you? Or is this a job that can be a snare to me and I don't have to worry about some mysterious plan? I look at the absolute word of God and I say, there is nothing wrong with taking this job. Lord, you will bless me in this job. And I take that job. If I know the word of God, when sin comes, I can say no. The promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is this. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But through the temptation, God makes a way out. That was the verse that helped me overcome many of my sinful addictions, brothers and sisters. I thought, Lord, I cannot stop committing this sin. It is too great for me. I read the Word of God and I have to say either God is a liar and He is not, or I am making excuses, brothers and sisters. And for some reason, when I believed in that verse, my sins were not so difficult anymore, brothers and sisters. That addiction wasn't so strong anymore when I read that verse, brothers and sisters. The Word of God is filled with absolutes. And as I am reading the Word of God, the Word of God truly is becoming a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And less and less am I doubting whether or not I'm doing the right thing. And more and more am I running confidently knowing that the Word of God has guided me to where I am to this very day. Once again, there are three things I wanted to emphasize from the book of Proverbs, and this is this. Wisdom is readily available for every single one of you, brothers and sisters. Wisdom, nothing compares to wisdom. Nothing can compare to having the insight to living a life based on God's Word. Number two, wisdom will ultimately change us. Wisdom is like an ornament of grace. And if you are walking in wisdom, you will be different, brothers and sisters. And three, wisdom comes from a right relationship with God. The fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. As you walk in wisdom and, and, and as you grow in your relationship with God, your relationship with sin will also change. Do not be deceived. Do not delude yourselves, brothers and sisters. If you are content with only hearing the Word of God, hearing preaching, hearing worship music, and you do not change your life, you have made a spiritual error. You have made a spiritual miscalculation. You have deceived yourself. And so as we bow to pray. Let this be on our hearts. Would the Word of God truly be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path? For the Word of God is full of absolutes. And by those absolutes, I can walk safely. I can walk safely and confidently knowing that all of these dangers, all of this darkness, the things that I supposedly cannot see can all be exposed by the Word of God, which is truly a lamp unto my feet and delight unto my path. Let us all bow in prayer.